Good evening, good day, or wherever you are today. This is, of course, Brandon with 238 Media, and we are picking up with uh, the beginning of another series. You may be saying, man, how many contemporaneous series can this guy do at one time? Well, let's see and find out. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about uh, some of what uh, church historians call the ecumenical councils. Uh, and you can't start a conversation about ecumenical councils or conceal your thought without first starting with the grandbaby of them all, which some would make the argument that the council of uh, in Acts uh, 15 was the first, but I don't think it's the same in this line, but we're going to be starting today with the first council of Nicaea. Uh, so, hey, please let somebody know, hey, got a good podcast going on. We have a church history conversation coming in particularly from a oneness Pentecostal viewpoint. So for many of us, the church or what we would consider the institutional or the visible church, uh, and of course, I, I, I am not speaking in the context of a person that's filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in Jesus' name, but most church historians would uh, recognize the world-changing impact that the Council of Nicaea would have upon the denominal world in probably a host of very important ways. Now, for those who are interested in this part of uh, church history, I think what Nicaea is going to do and what it has done, it's going to lay the foundation and not to say that there was not already Trinitarian thought in process, but what the Council of Nicaea does in actuality, it causes the Trinitarian parties that are going to uh, be present in Nicaea to really get the theological formation uh, moving in the way that Trinitarianism will develop throughout uh, church history. Now, of course, the Council of Nicaea is held uh, in the year 325. And historically, we know the outcome of uh, Nicaea was, uh, of course, the formulation of the Creed of Nicaea, which is not to be confused with the Nicaean Creed, which the Nicaean Creed is more of a uh, structure or a vestige of the Council of Constantinople. But the main reason that they came together with the Council of Nicaea was to denounce what had become uh, considered a threat to quote-unquote historic orthodoxy. Important thing to remember about uh, historic orthodoxy is that the victors have a tendency to write the story. Uh, but there was a gentleman uh, who was a presbyter by the name of Arius who was finding it very problematic with some of the formula formulations to express the nature of God. He felt that these ideas kind of teetered upon the idea uh, that was more akin to polytheism. And I can say for Arian uh, thought, even though I am not an Arian, I'm not an Arian sympathizer. Uh, he was in good intention trying to protect what he perceived to be pure monotheism. Uh, and so with Arianism, Arianism postulated a view of God that would have him uh, be of the same nature, but a different, I won't even say the same, the same kind of nature. 
Now, according to the Lexi, uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary, there is a way one can understand Arianism uh, is that Arianism is a movement that is pretty much it was in the early church. And this is one of the first that you would probably call a Christological heresy, uh, which he was pretty much arguing. It was a, it was a big conversation that was uh, in conflict about the divinity of Christ, essentially. And the way that Arius kind of wanted to uh, describe these things was in a way that went counterintuitive to what many had considered to be uh, the orthodoxy of the church. And of course, Arianism, which it, this movement derives its name from this teacher, Arius, uh, is the early fourth century, which we know the fourth century would be the AD hundreds. Uh, he really put a match to the fire uh, that was already uh, ensuing over the nature of Jesus Christ, and more importantly, over his nature and his relation to the Father. Arius in particular taught that Christ was a essentially a created being. Uh, and he taught that Christ uh, was the first created being, that he it wasn't a sense of just him being preeminent. He was chronologically first. And so the danger of this view is that this made Jesus Christ subordinate to the father and set off what is called uh, by many church historians, the Arian controversy. Now, as you would imagine, many of the church leaders opposed Arianism vehemently uh, because they felt that to give Jesus a level of divinity that was not at the full status of the father would be to give him a demotion. Now, one could uh, go into a different another conversation, which we will at a later point and argue does uh, monarchical or social Trinitarianism accomplish this. But in either case, it was considered a threat to uh, embracing Christ's full divinity, which uh, which was something that really was not debated in entirety because people believe Jesus was God. And the debate of over Arianism was very dramatic and it raged over the entirety of the fourth century. But uh, of course, the orthodox view was the one that well, what would become the orthodox view would be uh, the view that would prevail and uh, take home the, the uh the championship at the end of the day, but it would be this issue of Arianism. Now, this uh, is not to say that there were not other issues that were raging, and I'm going to hit on some of those issues uh, that were uh, key issues, but uh, the the issue of Arianism, how can you say, it was probably one of the um, key things that started just, okay, we got to have a council, because it's important to remember that this council was convened by that emperor at the time, Emperor Constantine the Great. Now, Constantine at the time of the uh, Nicene uh, Council was not a Christian, at least, you know, of course, we definitely know an apostolic baptized uh, in Jesus name through the Holy Ghost. He wasn't our version of a Christian, uh, but he was trying to use Christianity as a unifying force for his empire. And I think there has been a great deal of scholarship that has gone into detail to describe the decline of the old school Roman gods and forms of worship. Uh, but Arianism was the thing that really just broke the camel's back because Constantine had to realize, okay, I've embraced this religion, but a lot of these guys disagree. And sometimes this is the feeling I get when you're reading church history or you're talking to some people who are very adamant about one point of view to a point they're dishonest. They act like church history, especially when it related to the Christological understanding of the masses, that everybody was just chugging along, happy until uh, Aries came along and there were problems. Not necessarily, but 
Arianism was the thing that caused the council to uh, be convened by Constantine. And but also baptism was discussed. A lot of times you never even hear about these, of course, Christology and even more importantly, the lapsi or those who had lapsed during the times of the persecution. Now, you may say this is like, why is that such a big deal? Well, you must remember that a lot of the attendants who were there at the Council of Nicaea, many of them had endured persecution that was, I mean, it was horrendous. Uh, and some of the even church leaders under great duress, when pressured with persecution, they essentially just caved. <laughs> You know, they just, they caved. I don't know any other way to just to come out and say it, but the word lapsy is from the Latin word meaning fallen. And if anybody wants a good, I would say middle of the line definition of this, I think the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church uh, is a good reference for that. But the lapsy were those who were in uh, in varying degrees and not the Christian faith of the persecution. Uh, and this is regarded as of apostasy. Now, the problem is just like with anything, any person that stood through this time of great persecution, who did not cave, who did not uh, relinquish their conviction about the faith. And so now you see Constantine really um, Christianity is being embraced. And now the question has to be asked, do I let these guys back in? So, uh, you know, th this is the question, because I, I have to be honest, there were a lot of people that were like, absolutely not. I mean, they. They weren't having it. I mean, it was a very lively uh, discussion and eventually they would be allowed, which would cause um, another uh, <laughs> issue within itself because you had some folks who said, no, this must be the backslidden church and they left. Uh, they pretty much felt that they were going into a form of apostasy. And then, of course, ordination was discussed. And this probably more than any other is issues of Nicaea that doesn't get a lot of time, the Paschal controversies were discussed, which I think uh, is very interesting because a lot of people don't realize that the uh, Passover, the Easter, uh, it, it, that was a big early issue within the church. And so, but the primary heresy that was addressed was the issue of Arianism. Uh, and of course, it was personified in the gentleman by the name of Arius. The at the time, the what one would call the ruling pope, and that's a whole nother argument, or the pope of Rome at that time would be considered paint, uh, oh, excuse me, not paint, help me, Jesus, Pope Saint Sylvester the first. Uh, some of the other uh patriarchs would have who would have been uh uh very much established or in attendance were Alexander of Constantinople, Pope Alexander of Alexandria, Saint uh Eustanatius, uh, uh Marcius of Jerusalem. Uh and again, of course, we know Constantine was the ruling emperor. Uh now the council presidents were Hosius of Corduba and uh, some of the other key figures that may not have had uh, as much influence, but were definitely involved, of course, was our friend, Athe uh, not atheist, Arius, uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, Sicilian, Eusebius, Eusebius of Nicomedia, St. Jacob of Nisbus, uh, Leontus of Caesarea, St. Nicholas, which this is the same St. Nicholas that the lore of Santa Claus comes from, St. Pempentius, uh, Pachmenian, Heraclea, uh, Prodigenius Seridica, St. Sperdion. And I know I probably slaughtered a few of those names, but 
you don't exactly hear those names used every day. But the number in attendance, now this number can vary. Some say a little bit 312, some say, but the most common seen uh, count of the number of people who were in attendance at Nicaea, you probably have about 318 people. Uh, now this has to be understood in the context that they invited 1,800 people of that 318 of those people actually showed up. So let's look at this from a mathematical standpoint. Now, one, if this council has authority, this lets me know that Constantine recognized about 1,800 people whose opinion should be considered as it related to the doctrinal implications of the decision that will be given. 1,800 divided by 318, I think that's like 17.677777 recipial six or something to that extent. Now, one, that's not even a majority of the people that you invited. Let's let's just leave it right there. So one, that's not even a uh, something that I I would think should be substantial to talk to say this rep this is representative of the entire church. I think that's laughable at best. But what you will even find after the Council of Nicaea is that there was so much controversy about a particular term uh, that was adopted uh, or used uh, by the uh, what you would consider the, the Trinitarian or Proto-Trinitarian party to establish the uh the 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 sameness of god with uh with 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 uh, uh um jesus christ and that term was uh homoousius now the reason that this calls so much controversy is because the term homoousius and this is according to Jaroslav pelican was a sabellian watchword meaning that it was something that an ancient form of the modalist from the second century and if the term sabellian uh, is more akin to the East, whereas in the West, which would have been Rome, you hear more of the term uh, patripassionism that we know that was uh, coined by Tertullian. Now, this was a problem for a lot of people, but they felt this was the only way to make it clear that he was of the same essence of the father. Now, I can't think of the gentleman's name at the moment, but there was a gentleman who was the uh, friend of uh, Athanasius, um, and he, it turns out that um, he was actually a uh, functional, uh, functional modalist. Uh, later on, he got in trouble about it. But some would even go out to venture that maybe it was this gentleman who uh, really pushed Athanasius to push. Because if it wasn't for Athanasius pushing for the word homoousius to be used, it would not have been used. And even after Nicaea was ratified, the word caused all kinds of problems. And there were just churches that just would not accept the use of the word because they thought it was modalist, uh, which is very interesting to me. Uh, it would almost seem that as much as, especially Trinitarian historians, they wanted to seem like this council just spoke and ruled and it just, it's answered everything. A lot of people didn't feel that way. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the next time as we go into the count, the council of Constantinople, which is going to be around 381. That council in particular is really going to, to me, it's the first council that we really see a fully uh, ratified articulation of what we would see as a recognizable form of our modern day Trinity. Uh, and the reason they did this is because, and I've said this, and there are some modalists that if you look at the Creed of Nicaea, 
which is a different creed than the Nicene Creed. Most of the creeds that people use, you see today is the Nicene Creed, which is from really should be the Constantinople Creed. A lot of one, the Creed of Nicaea, a lot of oneness people could take that and use that. And of course, I know it would be a little deaf and defining that we would have to do, but it doesn't really ruffle oneness feathers that much, the Creed of Nicaea. But the Nicene Creed definitely does. And maybe that should be a uh, a something that we should look at and, uh, and take a different look at, because I think as you begin to look and understand that uh, that these things uh, are not as clear cut as some would like them to uh, believe to be. Uh, we, we can understand that there is great room uh, for speculative doubt as it relates to the, uh, the version of events that we're constantly given as uh, apostolic Pentecostal people. But hey, this is the first installment that we're going to talk about today, the Nicene Creed. Uh, already at the uh, Council of Nicaea in 325, remember to let somebody know that there's an apostolic historical podcast uh, conversation going on. And as always, it is a whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord do indeed or the Lord and bless you in Jesus's name.